Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Good evening. It's a privilege to be here tonight and to be able to speak about the work of Prison Fellowship um, that I've been part of for the last 12 years. Prison is a place that's full of all sorts of negative emotions. I've named just a few there on that, that slide. Anger, shame, guilt, regret. Moving on to even thoughts of self-harm, thoughts of suicide. Some cope very well with life in prison, but there's others that don't cope at all and they're overwhelmed by all those inward emotions that they feel. Prisons are places where people are locked away from society and they feel forgotten by the world outside. I think Psalm 102 verses 19 and 20 is a very interesting psalm. It says this, the Lord God the Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven, he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners. Isn't that an amazing verse? So society may forget people when they've gone into prison. But the wonderful thing is that God doesn't forget. And as we read those verses, it even seems to indicate that when God looks down from heaven... We know that he sees everything, but it seems as though he's paying special attention to the prisons and to the prisoners. That doesn't mean that he condones crime. He expects us to take responsibility for our actions and confess our sins and he will forgive us. But despite the crimes that people have committed, God loves them and cares for them as people. He's not forgotten the prisoners. He remembers them. And in fact, Hebrews 13.3 exhorts us to remember the prisoners as well. It says, remember those that are in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. And we know from God's word that God's heart, that Jesus' heart goes out to the brokenhearted to the captive, to the blind, to the prisoners, to those that are both physically and spiritually poor and captive. And this verse in Luke 5, verse 32, says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So God is at work in the prisons, and therefore prison fellowship is at work in the prisons, caring for prisoners. And you know, the amazing thing is that prisoners have a lot of time to reflect on where their lives are going and where they've got to so far. And many of them come to a place of acknowledging their need, recognizing their need before God and recognizing their need of a savior. And over the last 30 years, Prison Fellowship Northern Ireland has worked in all the prisons here in Northern Ireland. 
taking the message of the gospel. And it's a message of light and hope into a place which is often has a sense of darkness and despair. We come under the umbrella of Prison Fellowship International, which now works in over 130 countries worldwide. But this year in Northern Ireland, we celebrated our 30th anniversary. And to mark that occasion, Noel Davidson has written a book, Bringing Hope from Behind Bars. And in that book, which is available on the bookstall and also on our Prison Fellowship stand in the Exhibition Hall, you will find the stories of prisoners' lives who have been transformed to the glory of God. So we recommend it to you. Currently, there are three prisons. Never mind. Currently, there are three prisons in Northern Ireland. There's McGilligan, McGabry, the Young Offenders Centre, and within the Young Offenders Centre, there is the women's prison at Hyde Bank Wood. And I was checking on the statistics, the most recent statistics for prisoners in Northern Ireland. The last figures are from the end of June, and I don't know whether this number will surprise you, but at the end of June, there were 1,749 prisoners in prison in Northern Ireland. And of that number, from week to week, approximately 50 are women prisoners. So a small percentage are women. So what work does Prison Fellowship actually do in the prisons? Um, staff and volunteers go in go onto the landings and speak with prisoners there, into the association areas and in the men's prisons, into the cells as well. And it's basically a listening ministry. Prisoners find it very, very hard to know how to, who to trust, particularly in prison, who can they trust? So it's a case of listening, building up friendships, and then using God's word and prayer and Christian literature that we take in to share the gospel with them. There are weekly Bible studies in McGilligan and McGabry prison, and I've been involved in the women's Bible study for about eight years now. And it's been a joy to see that develop. At first, nearly everybody that came were non-Christians. So it was like an evangelistic Bible study. But week by week they came and currently there's about seven or eight coming every week to that study, but it's changed. Now there are more Christians than non-Christians in the group, and it's just a real joy to see them growing in their faith, taking time to encourage and help one another. Sometimes if they're on the same landing, even praying with other prisoners and reading and studying God's word together. A while back, I took a young prisoner from that group when she was released to introduce her to a church in Belfast. And as I went in, there was another girl that used to come to that group, a girl of about 25 called Ruth. And she was coming towards me. She'd come week after week to the Bible study group. And at times she looked very sad, her head was down. She would sometimes ask quite perceptive questions. But you know, she never made a commitment to the Lord during her time in prison.
But I saw her just a few weeks after her release and she came towards me beaming and gave me a great big hug. And God had been at work in her life since she left prison as well. She said, I knew he was talking to me all the time I was in prison. But she had committed her life to Christ just shortly after her release. And she is now established in a church, going on with God, trusting God for her future, and also going back into the prison, into Hyde Bank, to speak to the young offenders as a volunteer with Prince's Trust. That really encouraged me. In McGilligan, we have um, two meetings on a Friday night and sometimes some special meetings there. And again, that has been a place where Norman, our worker up there in McGilligan, and his team of volunteers have seen men come to faith in Christ. And he is able to follow them up and encourage them. Every year in May, there is also a mission in McGilligan Prison where outside speakers are able to come in and singers are able to minister as well. One really exciting development in the last few weeks, in the last few months, probably about 18 months, has been the opportunity to run the Sycamore Tree Programme in um, four, four places. It's a six-week restorative justice course, and it enables prisoners to understand the impact of their crime on their victims and accept responsibility for their actions and responses. And it's a Bible-based program. As you can see from the title, it's based on the story of Zacchaeus. Four courses have been run already, one in McGilligan, one in um, Hyde Bank with the young offenders, one in Hyde Bank with the women, and another one um, with a group of female offenders on the outside. And three more are planned, hopefully, before the new year in McGabry, again in the women's prison, and again with the young offenders. It's an expensive course to run because it's accredited, and those that complete it to a satisfactory standard get a level one and two open college network. But because of the good results, and because evidence of changed attitudes and changed behaviors by those that are taking part, the prisons are keen for us to keep on running that program. So we're asking God for the financial and the volunteer resources to be able to do that. One of the most powerful parts of that program is when a victim of crime comes in to tell their story, and that has a huge impact on the prisoners as they listen. And then those taking the course are able to turn it round and challenge those offenders to look, think about the victims of their crime and how they might have felt. And in the last week of the course, when the governor and maybe some outside visitors come in as well to see them finish, they're encouraged to bring some sort of symbol of reconciliation, of restitution. They may have written a letter or a poem, or there you can see somebody carved a sorry out of wood, and the please forgive is actually carved out of a bar of soap. So it's very creative. 
um, but they find different ways of expressing their sorrow for what they have done. And here are just one or two things that some of those that have completed the course in Northern Ireland have said. This was one of the worst decisions I have ever made, and I know it has ruined your life. For this I am truly sorry. I've started to change my lifestyle to stop me from reoffending. I've started to learn a trade, completed a course, received help to get off drugs. I know what I did was wrong, and I think I got what I deserved. And when we see things like that written in their workbooks, it encourages us to go on with that program. Talk so far about the prisons, but Prison Fellowship works not only with prisoners, it works with the families of prisoners, and that's where I've mostly been involved. What about the families? It's said by some that they suffer a silent sentence while the person that they love is in prison. But nobody really gets to grips with how they're feeling. This was said. The disruption of the inmate's position within the family unit represents one of the most distressing aspects of imprisonment. And after visiting lots of families of prisoners, I can say that I agree with that. Families go through an awful lot when somebody is in prison. And again, it's wrong to generalize. Some families will cope well, some individuals will cope well with the impact of imprisonment. But others really, really struggle. They feel no one understands, nobody cares about what they have to face. And families can be stigmatized and even victimized, just like the prisoner, although the families have committed no crime. And that's particularly true if the case has been all over the papers or on our television screens. Some may have to move away from where they're living and they become isolated and lonely. They feel powerless, helpless when the children start misbehaving and, and maybe playing up. It's very difficult for them to get information from the prison about the person that they love. And things move very, very slowly through the courts. So again, that can be very frustrating. There are financial and emotional pressures on families when someone is in prison. And it can result in a deterioration in mental and in physical health. And on top, there may be lots of other things going on in the family. I've been working with a family where the husband was in prison for about two years. And during that time, his wife had to cope with their daughter's marriage breakdown and trying to help her daughter with the children. Her mother-in-law took ill and died. Her own mother developed cancer and she was running her to and fro to hospital appointments and for treatment. And then her son developed a brain tumor, which is not malignant, but it's inoperable. And it means he's no longer able to carry on his work. That is an awful lot for one family to face. And we find over and over again that it's not just the fact that somebody's in prison. There's often a whole lot of other things 
going on in the family. And when I think of that family now, the husband is now out of prison, but the wife's health has begun to deteriorate. She's a Christian, she's trusting in God, she's held firm in her faith throughout, but her health is not good at the moment. There are a lot of pressures on the families of prisoners. God cares for the families as well as for the prisoners. They're often brokenhearted and captive too. And it's only the hope and the help that Jesus can bring that is going to change things for them. We have family workers and volunteers that visit in the homes of families of prisoners wherever they live in Northern Ireland. And again, it's mostly a listening ministry building up trust and friendship. And it always feels to me like a privilege to go into somebody's home and sit down with them. And although they maybe don't know us very well, they begin to confide all sorts of things in us that are happening, things that they maybe can't share with their family or even with their friends. So again, we use prayer, we pray with them, we use God's word and we use Christian literature not only to comfort them and encourage them, but to bring the challenge of the gospel. We don't ask any questions about what crimes have been committed. Just thinking of one person that I have visited, um, she sat down with me one day and she began to tell me all that her husband had done and it was a horrendous story. He was in prison. And she wasn't telling me anything that she hadn't... She'd gone, actually gone without him knowing to the police to tell them what she knew. Um, so she shared all that with me. And she turned to me and she said, do you think I'm married to a monster? And that was a very difficult question to answer. Uh, and I just send up a prayer to God. But I was able to say to her, you're married to somebody who Jesus loves and for whom he died on the cross. I was able to talk to her about the cross and the power of the cross and the power of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. That she or even he, if he confessed those things sincerely to God and turned away from them, could receive the forgiveness of God. Ruth, my colleague, also runs um, a monthly fellowship group for, for the women in our centre in University Street. And that's been a continuing blessing as, as the women have made friendships among themselves, mothers of prisoners, wives of prisoners. They've made friendships among themselves and they have perhaps even prayed together and encouraged and supported one another in the difficult situations that they face. We also give practical support to families, uh, and that can be in the shape of our Christmas pro pro program, Christmas Hope, where we give hampers to families and toys for the children, which can mean a lot at a time when they perhaps have very little. But sometimes it's food or clothing that we'll take with us, or, or will help with transport. If we see a practical need, then we will try and meet that need for the family. 
And I would just say to you, when you see a news report and you see somebody going to prison, maybe for a serious crime, just stop and think about the family of that prisoner. They haven't committed any crimes. Think about them. Pray for them. Because I can tell you for certain, they're facing a really, really hard time. There are statistics, UK statistics, that say that 45% of prisoners lose contact with their families if they're serving a substantial sentence. That's a very high percentage. But prisoners who are visited by a family member are 25% less likely to go back to prison. Those are quite startling statistics, aren't they? And nearly all prisoners look forward to their release. That's the day that they look forward to. But they're apprehensive as well. And in reality, release time is often a very difficult time for them. There are a lot of adjustments for the family, lots of relationships to be rebuilt, jobs to be found, and family workers work alongside the families during that release time if that's what they want. Many prisoners come out to no family so they go into hostels and flats and that can be a lonely existence too and the temptation is great to go back to a criminal lifestyle or an addictive lifestyle. Prison Fellowship, we have a drop-in centre at 39 University Street, and there they can come and have coffee or lunch with us. They can find someone to talk to. They can come to a Bible study on Wednesdays. We can introduce them to a church if they've made a commitment to Christ. We can provide practical things like furniture for them. Last year, some of the staff of Prison Fellowship had the privilege of being at a wedding of an ex-prisoner. He had been a lifer and he had come to faith in Christ during his time in prison and he had gone on really well. And it was a joy to be there and be there at his wedding. He'd been welcomed into a church. He'd been given a job. He had a new wife. He now has a new baby. And it was just such an encouragement to see what God had done in his life. A joy to reflect on the power of God to transform lives. Transforming him from someone who had once had that spirit of despair that we read about in Isaiah 61. To this, an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Some people that we work with do slip back into their own way, old ways. They may end up back in prison. It's not a 100% success rate. Sometimes we don't hear till a long way down the line what God has actually done. We had a letter in the office one day from someone who had been in the Armar women's prison 20 years ago and remembered the prison fellowship volunteers that went in there. And she was writing to tell us that 20 years later, she'd come to faith in Christ. 
So we thank God for those that stand firm in their faith, for those that find faith, maybe long after they've been in prison, but the seeds have been planted in their hearts. And we thank God also for all the volunteers and all the prayer support that we have throughout Northern Ireland that uphold the ministry in prayer. And in closing, I would just like to say this to you. I'm sure God has been challenging you in many ways this week, um, as you've heard different missions presented to you. And for some, mission may mean going far from home. But for others, there are dark places here in Northern Ireland that need the gospel of Jesus Christ and that need someone to take the love of Jesus Christ. That includes the prisons and the homes of prisoners. And if God is challenging you in any way, then I would ask you to come and see our stand tonight uh, in the exhibition hall and please speak to one of us. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.